Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll hear the exclusive inside scoop about a research expedition to the incredible Aleutian Islands with award-winning photographer and environmentalist Ian Shive. Then you'll learn about how researchers solved a molecular mystery about how our ears turn sound into what you hear. Let's satisfy some curiosity. We've all seen Alaska on a map. It looks like a really huge chunk of land with a tail of islands that trails off to the west towards Russia. Well, those mostly uninhabited islands are called the Aleutian Islands, and they're part of the Alaska Maritime National Wildlife Refuge. Scientists can learn a surprising amount about the health of our planet from studying them, and our guest today is going to tell us how. Ian Shive is an award-winning photographer, filmmaker, and environmentalist, and host of The Last Unknown, a new nature special that documents the Aleutian Islands' incredible natural wonders and wildlife. Here's why Ian went there. There's a lot of reasons why we went there. There's a lot of things that are that are coming out of there from a scientific perspective uh, that are valuable, I think, to the our better understanding of the planet and the environment. But you know, I think that going there was, you know, the, from the filmmaker perspective, it's visually a spectacle. You're talking about millions of seabirds, 140,000 northern fur seals on one little island, um, orcas, minke whales, humpback whales, all in these bays with spouts going off with waterfalls and, and islands that are uninhabited. There's no trails, there's no docks, there's no lights, there's no even planes really going overhead. And in many ways, the islands are, are like a time capsule. They've been not only protected, but <clears throat> they're protected by the North Pacific and the Bering Sea, which which, you know, if anybody's familiar with Deadliest Catch, like you get the idea, like it's it's rough. And so you're not exactly going out on a leisurely cruise to an island that's, you know, 1,800 miles away. And so all of those things combined and knowing that there's this research vessel that goes out there, that teams of scientists go out there and use this as their jumping off point to better understand our ocean it's pretty, I mean, visually, it was also just like, wow. I mean, imagine being on an island that's, you can walk around it in, you know, an hour at most. It's all black volcanic sand. There's steam coming up all over, bubbling cauldrons in the middle of it. And you have 140,000 ornery fur seals around the edges. I mean, it's basically like going back in time to, you know, these primordial era of, of when wildlife really, truly ruled and dominated these kinds of places. That's really cool. Talk to me about better understanding the ocean. Like the ocean's really big. Why do they have to go to those islands to learn about the ocean? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, yeah, the ocean is really big and there's lots of great studies that happen on the ocean every day. But what happens there is um, really tied to the seabird colonies. And so what, one way to think about it is that the seabirds are like scientists' little foot soldiers. They're like the front lines of science taking place in the ocean. And so you get millions and millions of seabirds that that congregate on one of these little islands where they nest because they're most of the time they're out at sea they're either feeding you know migrating to other feed areas whatever and then they go back to this one little spot so that's where the scientists and the seabirds meet up and they study those seabirds but what's happening is those seabirds as they travel thousands of miles across the ocean and these millions of birds 
and they take a little bite of plankton or squid or whatever's on the surface. With each bite, they're essentially taking samples of the ocean. And so by going to where the seabirds are, the scientists are essentially able to, even though they're going on rough seas and putting up with all these elements to get there, they're essentially taking a shortcut. And that shortcut is getting millions of samples of the ocean by studying the seabirds, seeing how healthy they are, how much are they growing, how many uh, chicks do they have, are the population numbers healthy, um, all of those things. And so that's why it's important and that's why they go out there. So, the Aleutian Islands are great for researchers because seabirds basically bring data to them. But that doesn't mean scientists have an easy job. The entire archipelago is one of the most volcanically active areas in the world. Kind of dangerous, but also kind of important. When those volcanoes erupt, especially the underwater ones, they release nutrients and minerals into the environment, which helps nourish the entire food chain. And that's not all. Some seabirds, like oplets, for instance, really rely on volcanic habitat. So one of the things that we learned while we were there, um, which I didn't know about these birds, are these little like 10-inch, almost penguiny, parakeety looking things. Some of them have crests on their heads that are kind of cute and, and very and very colorful beaks or bright orange. They'll nest in the rocks. So they spend most of their time at sea, but they'll nest in the rocks and they kind of burrow underground into these rocks. And those rocks are the upturned rocks from volcanic eruptions. But what happens is over time, those rocks start to grow grass and get filled in because the excrement from the birds builds up and seeds and things land or is in their excrement or whatever, and it starts to build, they become grassy. So you see all these little boulders in this hillside and they all have like little hats of green grass on them from where the birds come out of their burrows and, and do their business. And so over time, that growth becomes so great that eventually those burrows are no longer usable. And so in order for those birds to continue to have a place to nest, they need a new eruption. So they rely on the volcano to erupt and create new habitat for them. And in turn, uh, sort of freeing up all of the grass and all of the debris that they have. And so this cycle just continues on and on and on. Yes, volcanoes don't just destroy, they provide habitats. Who knew? They do still destroy, though. Going on an island like Bogoslav that I was describing with the volcanoes and the seals and the bubbling pools of water and everything, I heard that seven days after we left that island, it erupted uh, somewhere around there and that the entire shape of the island, one of the lagoons that were even filmed is gone now. The whole actual outline of the island itself has been reshaped. Like that's, that, that in itself is sort of a thrill and mind-blowing and also you're kind of like glad I made it out. Again, that was Ian Shive, an award-winning photographer, filmmaker, and environmentalist and host of The Last Unknown, a new special where you can see the beautiful nature he's been describing. The Last Unknown is streaming now on Discovery+. Plus. And if you don't already have Discovery+, Plus, then please check out the seven-day free trial by visiting discoveryplus.com slash curiosity. We'll include a link to that in today's show notes. Researchers have solved a molecular mystery that underpins an everyday miracle. Hearing. They used lasers to study a tiny link in the very long chain of body parts that turns sound into, well, something you can hear. Deep inside the inner ear are bundles of tiny hairs called stereocilia that help the body turn physical vibrations into the electrical signals the brain can understand. The stereocilia line the inside of a small fluid-filled organ called the cochlea. 
Vibrations in the fluid cause the stereocilia to sway, kind of like the tentacles of a sea anemone that's moving with the ocean current. The researchers behind this study were interested in these teeny tiny little threads that connect the stereocilia to each other. They're called tip links, and they're really important. That's because tip links control the flow of ions into cells that are connected to the nervous system. This flow of ions encodes the raw data that you eventually perceive as sound. The researchers had already figured out that tip links are made of two different kinds of proteins. Each stereocilia has two strands of one kind of protein attached to it. Each of those strands is attached to a strand of the other kind of protein. And each of those strands is attached to the next stereocilia. So think of it like two acrobats, each hanging from a trapeze and holding the hands and feet of another acrobat in the middle. To understand the bonds between the strands, the researchers in this study used lasers to pull on them until the bonds between them broke. That let them measure exactly how much force the bonds could handle before they reached a breaking point. It turns out that the two pairs of strands are both strong and resilient. First, two strands can keep a connection for a lot longer than one strand can. When the researchers pulled on a double strand, the bond lasted 10 times longer than when they tried with a single strand. And remember, each stereocilia has two strands, like the two hands of an acrobat. One reason for that extra strength is that bonds could break and reform in tenths of a second. So if a loud sound caused one bond to break, the other could keep the connection long enough for the broken one to mend itself. If an acrobat loses their grip on one hand, the other hand can stay connected. Strength isn't necessarily a good thing, though. A really loud sound can cause both links to break. The researchers think that property serves as a kind of safety release or a circuit breaker that protects these hard-to-repair structures from damage. The experiments led to a really big surprise. Under resting conditions, a tip link only lasted about eight seconds before breaking. That means that the connections that turn sound into signals in your brain are constantly breaking and reforming themselves. So thanks to an ever-changing process happening in your ears at the molecular level, you get to hear this podcast. Aww. Let's recap the main things we learned today starting with the fact that researchers go to the Aleutian Islands to study the ocean because of the seabirds there. Those millions of seabirds take bites of food from all around the world, thousands of miles away, and they're essentially taking samples for scientists. It's almost like scientists get to take a shortcut. And we also learned that volcanic eruptions are hugely important for sustaining the food chain in certain places, like the Aleutian Islands. Eruptions even provide a habitat for some birds, like auklets. Volcanoes giveth, volcanoes taketh away. Also, one really fun thing we didn't have time to include in our interview, Ian told us that while they were filming, they discovered a ton of artifacts from World War II? Because apparently World War II reached Alaska? Which I just didn't know. There was a huge battle between Japan and the U.S. called the Battle of Attu, which lasted more than two weeks. And Japanese forces even occupied one of the Aleutian Islands, which is one of the islands Ian happens to visit. So if you watch The Last Unknown, you can see they found things like artillery shells, beached submarines, a tunnel dug into a hillside with a whole preserved bunker inside with like bunk beds and slippers and everything, and even a preserved Japanese bomber 
So very exciting stuff. Yeah, he said it was one of the two planes from World War II that's still in the same place where it crashed or in C2 is the technical term. Super cool. Yeah, pretty amazing. And again, if you want to watch it and you don't already have Discovery Plus, seven day free trial, discoveryplus.com slash curiosity. All about it. And we also learned that scientists discovered the ear mechanism that turns sound into electrical activity and protects our hearing. Extremely tiny threads called tip links connect the hairs inside your cochlea, and those tip links are constantly breaking and reforming themselves. That's especially cool because a super loud sound can break multiple links, and that actually protects them from damage because it's kind of like you have a molecular circuit breaker in your ear. Very cool. Yeah, if the signal's too strong, it just won't get to you. It, it, uh, it breaks the chain. Also, I feel like every time we talk about hearing, I have to say, you should bring earplugs everywhere you go. It's super simple to buy some musician's earplugs for like 10 bucks online and keep them on your keychain. I know most of us aren't going a lot of places right now, but when we start going to concerts again, it's very important to wear earplugs because you can damage your hearing when you're young and like not even really feel the effects until you're older. And by then it's too late. Today's last story was written by Grant Curran and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow so Ashley and I can stimulate the stereocilia in your cochlea. It's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> but hold on, at least we're doing it to help you learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. <laughs> <laughs>